Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of The Lounge at the CWE. I'm Chanel, and I'm joined by my two co-hosts today, uh, Louise. Hello. And Stephanie. Hello. So we're going to talk, go through our typical talking about what we're reading, watching and listening to, do a little bit around the hot gossip for the week, and have a conversation about dating while feminists. So we're going to jump right in. So what things are we doing to sustain us during the quarantine? Let's start with you, Louise. What are you watching? What are you listening to? And what are you reading? I think I did that out of order. Watching, reading, and listening to. Go ahead. Okay. Um so watching, I have been, I watched Mulan this weekend. My family paid the $30 and it was interesting. Um, I don't think it was the best adaptation. Like I wasn't expecting anything that good, but they kind of like took this idea of a girl who works hard and can do anything to this girl who like is blessed with some magical chi and like, that's not inspiring to anyone. But anyway, um, I liked it. <laughs> I mean, no, it was like it was it was like a pretty movie, but I I think it didn't capture like the spirit of the original story, you know. I it's agree. original story though, right? Like there are there's like the original story, then there's the original Disney story, right? But I mean like the original original, like the like super Chinese like they, mythological they, okay. that yeah. I don't know. So maybe that's why I liked it because all I know is the Disney version of it and so this version was like well this is different like it was very different but I'm guessing if I knew the original Chinese traditional story I might have a different view but honestly my dad did kind of like a it didn't even fit like the vibe of the well not even it didn't even capture the core sort of aspects of the original movie I also agree with that this yes, movie, but I kind of like that it didn't. I thought that oh was different. Oh, I think <laughs> at the core of it, like why so many people like enjoy Mulan is because at its core, it's about this girl who's like overcoming all of these barriers. And at the end of the day, she creates her own community with like this group of men that you just didn't expect. And I think that at its core is why Mulan is so special. And her like betrayal is not because she feels like she's betraying her honor, but her betrayal is more to like the people that she's with. Like she's built these friendships and now she has to betray them. Mm-hmm. But in this film, it's very much about like, she's not working to overcome these barriers. She's blessed with this chi. She has this whack ass Phoenix guardian that does nothing. Yeah. Like, that was, what is this but, that, but the, but the, but the other, the, the other girl. Okay. Um, so I have thoughts. Okay. You don't want to spoil. I don't want to no. spoil it. I, I want to spoil it with her. People. The witch. I fuck with Here's the, the thing about the yeah, witch. Okay. Yeah, there was like some queer stuff happening in that. <laughs> I don't know. I was with it. I was with it. And you, you know, maybe it is because it's not my culture. Right. Like, so I can, even, even then, because I think like the thing with the witch, I was like thinking about this, right? And there's this one moment when the witch like confronts Mulan and she's like, if you don't reveal who you truly are, like you will die of fraud, basically. And honestly, that like idea of individuality, like that's a very American value and there's nothing True. wrong with that, but it's like not a Chinese value. The point is that she was like faking her identity to protect her family. And the fact that the, this witch is like being yourself is more important. I was like, that's that's really not yeah. the point of Mulan. And also the thing about that witch, I thought it was very interesting because she was very similar to Mulan, right? Like she's like, I also had this like magical mm-hmm. power and they told me to suppress it and I refuse. And Mulan was like, yeah, well, you know, 
you still have to like play within the system. Like I still love the system for what it's what it is. I feel like Milan very much is upholding this idea of the status quo for what women are. Y'all, we can have a whole podcast <laughs> just on this. This is so okay. good. All right, all right, all right. But we will come back to it. I I did. Um, I, I'm really enjoying all the things y'all are saying, and I think we're gonna have to do another another episode yeah, because for me, you know, I got an eight year old little girl who's all about princesses. I'm constantly comparing the different at like read re like what, what do you call it like the the real adaptations of the movies and they all are so terrible and we get like so excited like beauty and the beast and then we see it and we're like that wasn't good so like with that like that is what i'm comparing it to you know like of the disney remakes this was actually good like it wasn't a musical they just had the music in the background like so i i'm coming from it i like the jungle book and i like this one i still haven't seen the lion king because Corey came home and she was like i love beyonce but <laughs> <laughs> she really can't act so anyway all right this is this is good what are you <laughs> reading Okay, so I just finished the book, The Rosie Project. It was for a psychology class. So it's basically about this guy who has Asperger's and like Asperger's and like he is trying to get into a relationship. It was okay. I don't know. It wasn't really my thing, but it was kind of interesting. And then as for listening, I am listening to some lectures on the Bible, which is very weird for me because I'm not religious, but I just thought it would be something interesting to like listen to in the background while I'm like playing on my phone or something. Mm. Yeah. Okay, Stephanie, what are you watching? What are you reading? And what are you listening to? Um, so I'm currently watching The Boys season two that just came out. Um, the Boys, if y'all don't know, is a, it's a TV show about superheroes who have been commodified and like corporatized under this like large corporation. And they are essentially allowed to get away with doing whatever they want because they think that they're better than everybody else. And this group of like non-superheroes comes together and like essentially is trying to tear this corporation up from the inside out um, because like they've lost loved ones to um, the superheroes, like being able to just do whatever they want. The superheroes are essentially running like this large drug ring. Like this corporation is like this pharmaceutical drug corporation essentially. So it's really, it's really intense. It's really violent, but it's like, um, it touches on really interesting themes, especially as we're moving into this era where billionaires and trillionaires like Jeff Bezos can do whatever they want and get away with, with, with whatever they want with little to no repercussions because somehow they've been endowed with this like great power in the form of wealth. So it's like a very it's a very similar like concept to critiquing like what's happening in the status quo. But instead of talking about like money and adding billionaires like that it's they it's um translated or manifested into like superheroes and powers um so that's what i'm watching what i'm listening to um hit different by SZA that she dropped i'm waiting for this album where is my album SZA hello like when she said something will be dropping at midnight i was like is this the 2020 album it's not it was the song but it was really good um, and then especially the last, like, I think minute she adds like this interlude called good days. And I've just been listening to like extended versions of that on repeat. It's so good. I to read Yes. And the production quality is insane. Cause it's Jacob Collier who like did the, that did that part of the track. And I'm like hoping that either it's like a different song on her album or like a different interlude or something. I'm just waiting for this album. That's on God. 
Um, and what I'm, I'm reading, um, I'm just reading stuff for class. I'm reading the Communist Manifesto. <laughs> yeah, how is um, it? Great. I don't know. Yeah. Great. Not intersectional enough, but it's like good. The themes are good. There's um, my Marx class has been really interesting. There's um, a lot of people who are taking that class to try to like at Marx or something like, like push back on Marx. And I was just like, why are you in this class? Yeah, Marx? what is that? I mean, I maybe like, it's to sharpen the skills, but like, so when you're done, read like Claudia Jones and like, you know, black Marxists, like they, they there's yeah. already been people who have pushed back on Marx and made it, you know, Better, make more sense right. for women and black people. And there are also people who are talking about these kinds of um, like communist societies and things before Marx um, right. coming from other cultures. They just didn't call it that. So yeah. Well, it's a class on racial capitalism. So it's like we're talking about like black Marxism and feminist Marxisms and that kind of stuff. But it's more just I'm just really annoyed at the people who like instead of engaging critically with the text, like expanding it, making interventions, whatever. They're just like, I'm a capitalist and I love my money. And I'm just like, go like go somewhere else, bruh. Yeah. Eat the rich. Um, OK. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So. I am currently watching the NBA playoffs. I usually am really into the NBA playoffs. I don't watch basketball very regularly throughout the regular season, but the playoffs are exciting to me. Um, but I've only kind of been kind of sort of watching in the background. Um, and I was a little bit hard on myself, like, what's going on? Why am I not paying attention to what's happening? And I forgot that it's they're not usually on in September when we go back to school. So that's a part of it, but I am watching what I can. And last night was really exciting. I am reading. Y'all know I got kids. And so this week's read is Ferdinand the Bull, which is a oldie but goodie, a wonderful classic. And we do a thing where we read a book and then that's one of our weekend movie watches. And so um, we are doing that. And I'm listening to... Um, what am I listening to? Hold on, y'all. I had it. <laughs> I don't even know what I'm listening to. That that's my life right now. I'm sure it's some podcast or another. Um, maybe I'm listening to Michelle Obama's podcast. I'm I'm doing that right now. All right. So let's move on to what's the hot gossip. What is the hot gossip? Tell me everything. All right, so let's talk about the hot gossip today. Stephanie, what are you bringing to the table? So my favorite tennis player, Naomi Osaka, who is half Haitian, half Japanese, has been wearing these masks um, at her tournaments with the name of people who are victims of police brutality. So, um, yeah, so she had George Floyd on a mask. She had Sandra Blinn on a mask. Um and it's been really interesting because she plays for Japan. So the Japanese news has actually been broadcasting about um, what police violence and police brutality in the U.S. looks like. And she really has been sending out some fire tweets, too, where she's like, um, the blood of my ancestors run through, runs through my veins. So how could I lose? And I'm like, pop wow. off this. She's been saying, like, um, 
like the people who say that tennis is not political are the ones that like are forcing you to win. I will never get off your TV screens. And I'm like, yes, Ooh. Naomi, mm. use that platform, girl. And so, yeah, yeah. It's just been like, she's using, I think it's such an interesting way, like that sports are inherently going to be political because like essentially these tennis players or people who are in sports are celebrities. Like they have a platform and the mm -hmm. way that Naomi Osaka is using hers has been really impressive. Yeah, it's, it's been great. Um, I agree. And then I just like her and YBN Corday. They're so cute. And like, he also was in the, in the stands with defund the police shirts on and things like that. Even though like mostly on ESPN, they wouldn't, they only like showed him from like the neck up. You didn't really see it. But I saw it on like the undefeated blogs and things like that. So that's cool. I think it's like really interesting that sports are getting or like athletes are getting really into politics now. I'm sure they always were, but now they're like kind of using their position to make a statement. And of course, like the point of sports for a lot of people is to make money. And that's like pissing a lot of rich people off that like I think like the NBA players refuse to play in the playoffs, something like that, um, because they were protesting like brutality and things like that and then all the sponsors and stuff they got super mad about it but the athletes were like well you know you're using us to like represent the country and we're not happy with what's happening so like we deserve to have a say too yeah i mean it it almost asked them to separate who they are from what they do and it's like well i'm still black like i still feel mm -hmm. this. it doesn't matter how much money i make or how famous I am or any of that, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. I still feel what I feel. And that resonates with, I think every black, like this is what we all been feeling in this time. Like when we still got to log on and go to, and get on zoom and have meetings and continue to be productive when like the world around us is on fire and we don't feel safe and we worry about, you know, our loved ones. Um, but we still, have to keep working and to be in an organization that's like, nah, you're not allowed to even say anything. You can't even wear a shirt that says that. I mean, that just has to be debilitating. So. All right. Chanel, what did you bring to the table today? Sticking with sports um, this week or last week, uh, maybe by the time you, you hear this, um, Castor Semenye was, told um this is the the, the track star who um was found to be intersex um was told that she would have to either take uh testosterone like lower her testosterone levels or um get like surgery and things like that if she was going to continue to play in sports and the Castor Semenye story has always just been super heartbreaking because it's it's the sports world that um uncovered this about her, she didn't even know she was intersex. And so that didn't happen until she, you know, I, I, I forget because this is several years ago, but I think her testosterone levels came back high. And then they, they did all these other kind of really invasive testing on her um, that showed that she was intersex. And I think they released that information to the public. And it's just really um, always just been a really heartbreaking story. And I was rooting for her. I was rooting for the for the sports world to get this right, but they didn't. Um, How was that allowed for them to like force the public? Yeah, that seems like what doctor patient confidentiality, like just a, huge, a thing? 
you know, invasion to her privacy and that she's still hanging in there and staying strong. My heart just goes out to her. I don't even have much to say um, other than just sending love and light to our intersect folks and folks who are um, gender nonconforming and trans and, you know, just people who don't fit neatly into a binary. And what I will say is that sports is going to have to figure figure this out. You know, sports is going to have to figure this out, but it continues to come up over and over again, you know, with sports, even when people aren't like, even with Zaya Wade, people are like, well, what if she wants to play in the NBA? It's like, well, did she say that? Like, y'all, you know, but it's, it's, it's this thing where, where we can't get over what to do with sports and maybe sports just gotta go. Like if we can't figure out a way to do this, that honors folks who are not on this, in this bind, like who is really, um, then we're gonna have to we're gonna have to figure something else out. That's how I feel. So, yeah, and it's very much like like Michael Phelps. He has mm-hmm. like decreased lactic. His body doesn't produce as much lactic acid as other people, and that gives him like a tremendous boost in terms of being a competitor. And he is not required to like induce more lactic acid in his body or something. And so it's clearly not a big deal about like the athletic advantage and it's more just about the way that she is not fitting into sort of whatever binary we've created to be able to compete yeah so. i mean like that's a part of it right like when you think even of gymnasts they they tend to be smaller than other you know people and they they're muscle built some of it is how they train some of it is how they've been born and so like it this only matters when it comes to issues like this and i just think it's it's a it's a whole shame um so yeah, my heart goes out to her. But there are people like now that I said gymnast, it reminds me that like Simone Biles is standing with her. Like we're seeing this kind of um, this like love around her that I hope she really can feel, and I hope it carries her through. Um, but you know, it sucks. These athletes train for this their whole lives, and for it to end in ways that are out of your control like that, it's not like an injury or you aged out of your sport. They're basically like you must change who you are. Um, in order to to participate, it's just ugly. I don't like, like telling her what to do with her, her like body. physiology, like yeah, yeah. And so, um, yeah, it, I think for us, it's a, as as a feminist, you know, bodily autonomy all the way. Um, and so, I don't like this. I feel like this kind of ties neatly into the next topic that I was going to bring up, which is J.K. Rowling has announced a new book, mm-hmm. and the topic of her new book. It's part of her. Cormoran Strike series, which is a detective series. Basically, the uh, antagonist is supposed to be like a cis man who dresses up as a woman and kills people. And this is coming at a really convenient time for her because it's like only a few months after her long essay about, you know, her kind of in defense of why she doesn't really support trans people or like their access to legislation or, you know, like for trans women, women's bathrooms and things like that. And I just feel like at this point, she's just kind of being provocative on purpose. Like she's trying to get a reaction. She's like sick of how people are treating her. And she kind of just wrote this plot as a revenge Mm. book. And that's just so childish to me. (laughs) Like this grown woman is really raging a war against some people on the internet who don't like her because like her views actually do carry some weight and impact. Like she's a very rich and public figure 
and you know publicly supporting uh uk politicians who are like against um legislation that helps trans people that's just it's not good basically she's so disappointing like she really could have just sat there and said nothing she and really could down have. it's like a legend, an icon. We loved her. We loved her books. Like she really should have just like they say you should never meet your heroes. They really do. And so that's what's happening with them being all up on social media. She could have just sat there and ate her food and nobody would have said anything. <laughs> but she gotta keep opening her mouth. Keep di- like it's it's really disappointing to to see her do this and continue to do it. Like, I think you, you know, I think you're saying she's being provocative. I think that's right. I think she's being mean and it's, and it's almost like being a troll. Like, what are you doing? Just stop it. That's all I got to say about her. And I think there is a lot of like, every time this topic comes up, it's always about like trans women specifically, like nobody ever talks about trans men. And there's something that people just find so terrible Mm -hmm. about the idea of a trans woman. And like, it's very tiring to keep having to deal with it. And like, I actually did, like, I wanted to see what she had to say. So I actually read her entire essay and, you know, she frames herself as very neutral, very objective. And then she like retweets provocative, mean, transphobic things. So it's like, clearly you're, you're pretending that you're in good faith, but you're not. There's a reason that you have some sort of repulsion uh, from trans women. And I just, just why? Like, why? We all knew that she was kind of going in a weird direction when she was like, Hermione was black the whole time, even though there was absolutely no proof of that. And there was literally yeah. like a quote that was like, oh, yeah. Hermione's pale white face. <laughs> and she really was like, Dumbledore is gay, quote unquote. Is Dumbledore really queer? Hmm. <laughs> yeah. I think the fact that she's also trying to like capitalize off of her turfy remarks is. It's such a weird vibe. And it's on the wrong side of history. Like, that's just not where we're going. So her and whoever else agrees with her are holding on to the last little semblance of this. But we're we're, like, that's just not like, I just don't see this next generation carrying that forward. And not just because like, we always say that with every generation, like, oh, this next generation is going to be more, you know, inclusive. But like, no, really, like, the kids now are reading anti-racist baby. Like, it's not just because we just think, oh, because they'll be friends with other people. No, it's kids marching in the streets at six years old talking about Black Lives Matter, like like they, like they at lemonade stands and stuff, just playing like that. Like, you know, like us, me and my little friends are, are holding a march in with this wagon and we're doing it. Like, so I just don't, I just don't see that particular viewpoint lasting much longer and i think that's what they're holding on to i don't know why but it makes no sense it makes no sense um and i think yeah this has just been a hard time for for our our trans folks right i think with like every kind of cultural shift or shift in ideas there is going to be a period of time where like people mess up and like they don't really know how to do it or there's something that isn't quite working and that's fine like we just we we try something if it doesn't work we try something else and hopefully that works. But like this idea where she's just, you know, she does make some points that like I do understand, but the way that she's going about it is just not correct at all. It's it's just clearly she has some sort of repulsion or like whatever. Yeah. Well, bye, JK Rowan. <laughs> Goodbye. And so we're going to move on to our next segment, our couch conversation for this week. 
So our couch conversation for this week is dating while feminist. And I kind of want to start the section off by asking as feminists, what are, what has, what is a challenge that you faced in the dating world? That's a good question. Um, It's been so long since I dated. I've been married for like a long time and probably not that long to people who've been married for a real long time. So I think I've been married eight years, but I've been, (laughs) I've been with um, my husband for like 16 years or something like that. So like dating is that like, honestly, I met him before I was a feminist. So I had a different, you know, view of things, um, different values And I'm just really grateful that like they stayed congruent with, you know, how he was changing as well. Um, I always say like when I, when I went to college, my favorite song was like Little John and the East Side Boys from the windows to the wall. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And then I became a feminist freshman year. So like, I just, that just, like I did the whole list thing that people do and like, I want somebody, but like, political views, ideology, like just wasn't on the list. It was like, I want him to be this height, this complexion, this kind of smile, funny. Like it was super vain and it had nothing to do with feminism. I would imagine though, if I was a feminist before, that would be really challenging to find somebody that fits with with my feminist viewpoints. So... I feel like nowadays being a feminist is kind of the norm for a lot of women, at least in our circles, like in academic circles and things like that. Um, So I think when a lot of women like go out and try to date men, whether or not they're a feminist, it doesn't, it's not like something they actively think about, but they probably just have incorporated some feminist values in their Mm. ideas already. Um, For me, like when I date, I think that, political ideology is something that matters a lot to me and I get pretty mad when someone doesn't agree with me but it's also kind of worrying something that I worry about is that because my views I'm so I feel so strongly about them am I really going to find people who can also feel that way because even if like I get into like a little tiff with somebody about something and I feel like their intentions aren't in the right place I very often get really righteous about it Um, So I think that, like, for a lot of people, you know, because, like, the landscape is changing so much nowadays, for people with, like, really strong views, there is that fear of, like, do I have to compromise this in order to find someone? Yeah, so how do you grapple with that? Like, having incongruent values sort of with, like, a potential partner? Like, when you're in these early stages of dating, it's not exactly super serious. It's not like you're expecting other people to change for you. So how do you grapple with, like, meeting people or finding, I guess, more specifically finding people that share similar values to you as a feminist? Stephanie, I feel like you would be better answering this than me because I've never really casually dated before. Um, Usually the people (laughs) that I date is, like, I like meet them as friends. I I don't really have the experience of like getting to know someone after the fact Mm -hmm. and like asking them slowly what their, what their views are. So you like 
you know the person first and then that's kind of like how you decide whether or not there's somebody that you're interested in. Yeah, usually. I hate casually dating. I don't understand why you frame it like Stephanie, like you casually date (laughs) all this stuff. I hate casual dating. It's you only really understand people at a very surface level. And it's not like their, their values are going to be put out in the forefront, like on your first couple of dates. It's impossible to tell what your values really are at the very beginning. That's why it's just, it's difficult to, I think grapple with the fact that your values at the end of the day may be incongruent. You're not going to like, you're not committing to anything. And that's why it's like, as a feminist, when I'm dating, I specifically keep it casual because I'm not going to invest time in somebody that I like, I don't really know what their values are and nor I don't at, at one point you just, or you have to ask yourself, like, do I even care to know? Mm. And it's like, no. Yeah. Like this, either A is like a waste of my time or B it's like, I don't know if I want to invest this time like into you if I don't really see this going anywhere. Okay. So is it when y'all are dating while feminists, is it that you're looking for someone else who's a feminist or someone who's just like not a misogynist? Cause those, those are different to me. And I feel like for myself, it's less important whether or not you're, you're a feminist. I don't need you to be a feminist. Um, I need you to know that I'm one though. Um, but I don't like, and, and I think I also have probably a very, um, you know, any, uh, uh, I use bell hooks definition. That's like a really open and inclusive one. But at the same time, I'm kind of like, are you though? Like, are you a feminist? Like I kind of have like a high bar as to what that means. And so I don't think just anybody that feels like, you know, men can, women can do whatever men can do. Like that's enough to be a feminist, but I do need you not to be misogynistic as hell. Like that it's different to me. So like, yeah, what is the line for, for you? I feel like for men in particular, the bar is so low. Like just (laughs) asking someone to not be a misogynist is literally like, like the floor. It's like, I'm just asking you not to beat my ass. Like that is like literally on the floor. Um, And so I am particularly looking for partners, even if they don't claim that they're feminists or they don't claim sort of feminism, the way that they interact in the relationship has to be like a very feminist framework, right? Where it's Mm. feminism encompasses a lot of essentially just basic respect, like basic values of respect. And I think like, if you can claim that, then I, I think that's enough, right? Like for me, it's not enough that you're not, you're just not a misogynist or you're net neutral. Like you have to actively like think about our relationship in a very feminist framework, even if you don't claim to be a feminist. So that means like um, bodily autonomy, like communication in terms of like sex and everything else, like emotional intimacy, like all of that stuff. I really agree with that. Cause I think that like, it's really easy to, claim a title and then just to not live by that at all so i'd much rather have somebody who actually like behaves in a somewhat feminist manner or at least just in a way that respects women um but then like have somebody who does say that they're a feminist but then maybe hasn't really internalized those ideas um and i do think that like for some reason i keep meeting like nerds like i think that's my type but some of the people that i've talked to 
they will like have conversations with me about feminism and they'll criticize like contemporary definitions because you know feminism the as movements they're not perfect and you know with each new wave we like make certain adjustments and like i'm open to that i'm open to like you know good faith criticisms of feminism because that shows me that you're thinking and that you've like actually taken the time to listen to the ideas and, and kind of try to internalize them and you're also working to like improve them so i don't really need people to claim the title i just need them to kind of understand the concept and live by it i just hope that they have that same energy around critiquing feminism as they do around critiquing patriarchy because you know i think sometimes we put way more energy into the critiquing of the movement that's trying to end the thing than we do into the thing that the movement is there for um do y'all find it though? I don't know. There's this SNL skit that ex that uh, maybe from a few years ago where they were talking about like feminist men and the way that they can sometimes like weaponize that, like you know, like or kind of like they're still playboys. They're still doing all the the sh the stuff that we don't like when men do, but they but they kind of trick you because they're saying all the right stuff about what it means, you know, to be a feminist and, they, and they're like using that as a way to like hook girls like us. That's that skit is the one where like they're at a bar yeah, and then yeah, men keep being like, I'm a feminist. And then when she's like, I'm not inter interested, they're like, oh, like, you jerk, you slut, whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So sometimes I'm a little bit um, skeptical yeah. of, of people who claim of men who claim that term again that's like why i think that it is more important to focus on like where are they putting their energies how do they behave you know yeah um because I, I, sorry go ahead Louise. No, go, I was okay um i think at the end of the day like your practical conversations your day-to-day -day experiences with like whoever you're in a relationship with it's never going to be theoretical in the point where like let's talk about feminism and here are my academic talking points this is the paper that i've written mm -hmm. like whatever right like our feminism in relationships is very much like the way that we're living our experiences and i think like when i am talking about like what my values are although like if somebody a third person would be in the room. They'd be like, oh, wow, she's a feminist. I'm not exactly saying like, this is the academic feminist text. This is the theory, whatever. Mm -hmm. But it's like, these are the things that I like. These are like the values that I live by. And this is like the energy that I put into the world. And either you match that or you don't, right? It's never like, I would, I'm not going to be with a person that like, I would have conversations critiquing feminism about or like if they can speak about bell hooks or if they've read bell hooks and like that's what makes a good partner like that's not what it is at the end of the day like when I'm looking to date people it's never about how much knowledge do you have but I think like Louise brought up it's like how do you live your values how how are how is this feminist theory that we think about as feminists how is what does the praxis look like in a healthy relationship I think that's I think that's a good place to think about um yeah, healthy relationships. So like when you're when you're in it, right? You're you're dating someone and you're a feminist. Do you think it has made your relationships better or more challenging? I think they're it's it's like everything, like a double-edged sword, right? Cuz on the one hand, you demand respect for yourself and the people who respect you, you know, that's a really wonderful feeling. It's so sad that that's like something I'm praising, but no, it's true. Like finding somebody who really respects you and your values, that's really wonderful. But um, on the other hand, because you're feminist and 
you know, you do have these strong ideas, it's very common that other people aren't going to respond positively to that. And, you know, you can say, oh, like, screw them, I didn't need them anyway, you know, if they aren't going to respect me. But the truth of the matter is, you know, sometimes your feelings just happen, even when they shouldn't. And sometimes it really does suck to like actually care about somebody or invest in someone and realize that their values aren't congruent with yours. Um, and I think that is something that a lot of feminists will need to and do experience in their relationships and in their dating lives. I feel like another challenge is also the threat to masculinity that a lot of feminists um, like essentially are, where it's in a relationship or in a typical like straight cis relationship, there are markers of like the gender binary where it's like men are supposed to do this in the relationship. They're supposed to project these feats of strength, whatever. And women are supposed to be very docile. And there is a particular way you're supposed to, I think, fit together. And through feminism, we sort of challenge a lot of what this binary means for us. And we understand sort of that our masculine energy and our feminist, our feminine energies, they're on this like spectrum, right? Where it's like, we are allowed to, we give ourselves permission to do things that need strength. Like as a woman, a cis woman feminist. Like I do things that are like a very assertive or very aggressive. And I think it's very much like this threat to a typical construction of a relationship that is challenging for men to grapple with. Um, if I think if your partner, if it's like a cis male, he, I think he finds strength through this assertion of like my power, my dominance, whatever, but he like is not willing to explore sort of the feminine energy, like being kind, being empathetic, being emotionally intimate, that it's like, that's a problem. And I think a lot of men are afraid to do that. They're afraid to sort of let go of this um, societally imposed thing where they have to fit these certain characteristics. And that makes for a really toxic relationship. You know, what's so interesting is I remember when me and my husband were dating, we did what we wanted to do. And we, you know, nobody had anything to say. We were open for a few years. Like we were long distance. Like we just did what we wanted to do. The moment we got married, it was other people who would have so much to say. It was like we entered into this kind of club and they would be like, <clears throat> you didn't make his plate. Why, why didn't you make his plate? I'm like, I don't know what he want to eat or how yeah. he want to eat. Like, why am I making his plate? We had our own little system set up throughout all of our years dating where like we were both kind of shot where we were with each other's family. So at my family functions, I'd make both of our plates so he didn't have to get up. And at his family functions, he'd make my plates. That seemed to be like completely, you know, against the rules once we got married or people would say things like, um, why you let your wife's car be dirty? You didn't wash your wife's car. And he's like, man, Chanel can wash her own car. Like she gets it dirty so quick. Like as soon as I wash it, she'll drive through mud. But like that idea of like, you know, this is what it means to be a husband. This is what it means to be a wife. It didn't get put on us when we were boyfriend and girlfriend. It happened once we got married. We really saw um, or really felt like we had to fight to define our relationship ourselves and that's where I felt like feminism saved me being a feminist and being and also being like in community with um like queer folks right who didn't have those kind of same 
kind of structures of like a man should clean that, you know, should clean the car, a woman should cook dinner. Cause like, they're just doing it based on skill set and like who's, who's a better cook and who likes to take care of the kids and, or whatever. Like they, they were, they were already doing that, that I got to see that as a model and also like push back against those kind of things. But we got it a lot. We got it a lot around like what a wife is supposed to be and what a husband is supposed to be. Um, and that that made it hard to to fight for those kind of boundaries. I think this like segues into a really I think I have another question and I think the segues perfectly into it. Um, and that's as a feminist, how do you set up boundaries so you don't lose yourself in a relationship? For me, what's actually interesting is I remember um, being like having like when I was in grad school, I was like starting to romanticize what it would be like to be with somebody who was also an academic and, you know, really like side eyeing my then boyfriend, you know, like, uh, um, I wish he we could talk about Foucault and Kant and have these kinds of conversations. I really thought that we could be this kind of like academic power couple. And it was like making me mad that like that just wasn't where he was. And then I remember I had like this really terrible day in my program. You know, everything was just getting on my nerves. And then my friends were also like getting on my nerves, being all heady. And I came home and I wanted to like talk about it. But he was like, drinking a beer, watching TV, wa- you know, watching a football game or something. And it was like, actually, it's nice that even if I wanted to talk about it, I couldn't. And it made me start thinking about like what polyamory can actually offer us in terms of thinking about friendships. It's like sometimes we think that like the person we're with is supposed to be our everything. But really, I had friends who I could have those deep kind of theoretical conversations with. I had friends who loved hip hop. And so when I, when a new album came out, I could talk to them about that. And then like this person though, is your person for these things. Um, and I think that helps you not get so wrapped up and lost into, into, cause I did that too, definitely in high school. I remember that, like I lost all my friends and all I had with this was this person. And then when we broke up, I had no one, I had no one. So I like vowed like never again, but one way to kind of hold on to that is to value all of the relationships in your life and try to identify what pieces of you they fill so that you don't feel like this other person has to has to fulfill it. Now, I will say women do a lot better job of that than men. They don't have as deep connections with other men the way we do with women. And so a lot of times we as women hold, have to hold their emotional like we have to be there everything. And that is tough. That is tough. And so establishing boundaries where you're saying, I can't be your best friend and your therapist and the person who you talk to when, you know, your coworkers make you mad and, you know, your game buddy, like I can't be in all you got to get out and make, you know, relationships with people is something that I see really common for women. I think what's like really important um, is this idea of like avoiding a strong sense of codependency because I see this a lot. And like you mentioned, I think a lot of girls, especially in their first romantic relationship, it's their first time feeling it. They get so excited and they like lose all their friends and then like their partner does become their whole life. And I just think that, you know, when you're in a relationship and the only thing that makes you feel better about like anything in your life is your partner. 
it's probably a problem mm-hmm. because the ideal uh, pairing to me is one in which, you know, it's two individuals. They both have their own lives. They really, you know, enjoy spending time with each other and they do depend, depend on each other on some level, you know, for maybe emotional support or whatever. But let's say like one of those people is busy one day, then like, you know, ideally on your own, you should be able to pick yourself up back together too. It's like, you shouldn't need someone in order to feel better, but it would, it, the other person should just be like a support for you if you would like one. And like, they can help you along in your journey of recovery or whatever it is, but they can't be the one actively telling you how to live your life, how to get better, what you should do. They can only just like support you in your own attempts to better yourself. Right. So it's more like they complement your life rather than like making a whole or something like that. Yeah. It's like the whole kind of like validation thing. Like you really, you really can't depend on other people's validation. Yeah. No, I totally get that. And I, it's very much about like, you have to be so strong as an individual, like an individual person in order to sort of be able to be in a healthy relationship, I think, because if you don't like have a strong sense of yourself from the get go, it's so easy to like find somebody or rely on somebody to fill the gaps. Mm -hmm. And I think with that being said, we'll move to the, (laughs) we'll move to the last section about breakups. So I think everybody should give me one thing that they want to put out there about breakups. So whether it be advice or a hot take, or something like that. Yeah, I want to believe that, you know, as feminists, when we think about breakups, that we bring a, a sense of ethics to it. I think gaslighting is such a thing that seems to undergird so many um, of women's relationships with men. And there's a way that like, ghosting right like that like I thought we I thought there was a thing that we had here and what happened can make us second guess ourselves a lot or when we think that we you know are you cheating on me no that's just my friend and then you find out that they were like there's so much that can happen to our own self-esteem when we're in these relationships that I think dating while feminists should come with uh, like some ethics around how we break up And I think sometimes it means, you know, and and I'm not trying to act like I ain't never ghosted nobody, right? But I I feel bad about that. And it was before I was a feminist. And I think going forward, we should have those difficult conversations to say, hey, I I think you're great, but I'm just not that into you. And that may be hard to do in the moment, but it's just, I think, a better way, a more ethical way of breaking up. I think that we need to normalize normalize conversations around open relationships and polyamory and be ethical about that as well because it's a lot of people who are in open relationships it's just that the, their partner doesn't know that um and so like having these kind of conversations where you can say you know what maybe monogamy doesn't work for me and maybe we can talk about being in this relationship in a different kind of way versus cheating um so i want to i want to think that feminist breakups also um, hold that value around healthiness and um, ethics, I think. I feel like to be a feminist is to value ethics and like respect for other people, right? And so I think, and I'm going to talk about this in terms of like uh, more long-term relationships. You know, if you're breaking up with somebody, I think that 
um, do it respectfully because I do know someone who was in a relationship for like five years and their boyfriend was kind of like, oh, let's take a break. And they like never texted them again. And, you know, the amount of hurt that the other person must go through. And I think that like, you know, we as feminists, we should attempt to set examples or even if not set examples, just try to like live by our values and just respect other people. And that does involve not ghosting somebody, communicating, sitting through hard conversations. Um, you know, it's not easy to break up with somebody. You don't want to hurt the other person, but just leaving and disappearing is going to hurt way more. And, you know, if I, I don't wish this on anybody, but if someone were to experience that themselves, just like a complete lack of response, you know, that really messes with people. I think that people in general should just try to be good and kind and, you know, make everything as clear and painless as possible. Like pain is always going to be involved in these kinds of situations. Um, so, you know, it's up to us to try to temper it a little bit. Mm -hmm. I think one thing that feminists maybe get really caught up in sometimes is always feeling like they're right. Like we live sort of mm. through our values and we, there's a lot of this theoretical conversation about like, oh, why we believe these things and like how strongly we believe in them that we sometimes forget like relationships are very much about like the connection between two actual living people. And it's not something for the theory book. And as feminists, like we mess up all the time yeah. and it happens. So what does it mean for us to mess up, acknowledge that and be able to sort of patch up what we break or come back together with somebody when we did, when we do something wrong, cause it happens. Um, and for me, I think it's very much like, what is the intention behind you? Like wanting to fix something with somebody and like how authentic and how open and how empathetic are you willing to be in that conversation? Um, I would never want to be in a situation where like I mess up. Somebody tells me that I mess up and like, I am so full of like myself Mm. and thinking that I can, I would never do something like that, that I just completely like brush that off and I gaslight somebody else, right? Like as feminists, we, so we sort of know like why things like gaslighting or emotional abuse, like manipulation, like we know why that's hurtful. And I would just never want to be in a position where I would disregard somebody else who tells me that like I'm making them feel that way, you know? So I think it's not only like, it's very much also recognizing that like we mess up too. And that even though we live sort of as feminists, it does not come out all the time or it comes out in really fucked up ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think sometimes to do that, we have to deal with our own past pain. Um, and that's for everybody, not just feminists, but I do think that for, in order for us to not, reproduce those same kind of harms that sometimes it requires you to, to do some real, some real deep work. Um, so, yeah. Okay. All right. So that was kind of a heavy conversation, but let's move on to our next segment, which is to ask the CWE. Uh, I should probably ask the CWE. So Julia from Pennsylvania asked us the question, my boyfriend is currently in Georgia and I'm back home in New York right now. How can I maintain my relationship during the COVID period? Anyone have any thoughts? 
Oh, um, I do actually, because uh, like I said, I was long distance for a minute, though I think that this creates a different kind of challenge because you don't know when you're actually going to see each other again. But I think there are tons of cute things you can do. I think letter writing would be really sweet um, to actually get physical letters in the mail or physical cards or little small trinkets. Maybe maybe you send him his favorite tea. In, in a just like a tea bag in a in an envelope with a little letter like thinking about you, um, throwback um, mixtapes, you know, send, sending people playlists. I guess you wouldn't have a device to to play a tape on, but I think things like playlists are really cool. Um, of course, I mean, I feel like at this point in the pandemic, people already know about like Netflix parties and, you know, doing things like that. But I do think that there are other creative things that y'all can do while y'all are FaceTiming, like, you know, a paint and sip, just the two of you, a candlelight dinner where you um, both are taking, like getting the same meal and preparing it together and, um, you know, eating it you know, over candlelight. So I think it just requires, and, and for everything, it's really a time to be super creative and to think outside the box. But if we keep thinking about this as like worse than what was, as opposed to one thing I will say, and I'll stop, is being long distance really helps strengthen me and my husband's communication. And so you can look at this as a time where you all really get to figure out how you're going to communicate with one another, what your real values are, really get to know each other on a deeper level than you would if you actually had, you know, the physical place of, of being together. Um, so it could be a really great time for your relationship or a great time to find out that that's really not the person for you. Um, but it just requires a sense of creativity and commitment to like, no matter what, we're going to be together. We're going to um, try to be together. <laughs> I think that's very cute. I think that like, <laughs> I am not that, I am just not that sweet. Like that doesn't <laughs> come easily to me, like romantic gestures or whatever. Um, so what I would suggest if you're lazy like me is, you know, I I personally do really enjoy like Netflix parties and things like that. Um, so I would say to schedule things um, because, you know, being far away and like, you can't just like hop into bed with somebody and then like watch a movie, but you could get on a Netflix party and like make an event of it. It doesn't have to be a huge deal. If you want to go all the way with like Chanel said, like with the candlelight or whatever, then you can, but if you're also just really lazy, you know, sit down and watch a movie together. Um, I also think that like, I really like the playlist idea that you said um, for me, like playlists can be somewhat personal or it's just like a way to share another dimension of yourself. But I will say that like, I have seen people in long distance relationships, like, being so attached to their phones that they can't enjoy anything else. And I definitely would advise against that. And that's another reason why I would suggest like scheduling that way you can be sure that you do have your own time. You know, it's so easy to get caught up in the idea that you miss somebody and just try to talk to them all the time, but do also try to focus on your own time, hang out with friends safely. Um, and then also like go to your pre-scheduled date or, you know, if it's the tea thing or whatever that you want to do that too. <laughs> What's a substitution for like physical touch if you can't physically be with people? I don't think there is one. <laughs> I don't know, but y'all can y'all can message us in the comments <laughs> on our Instagram if you if there are ways. But yeah, I, I think that's that's the most challenging part about all of this is not being able to physically physically touch. Yeah. Um 
I don't know. I long distance relationships really scare me because I think a LDR is like a very visible sign of how committed you are together to be wanting to take, like to want to take on an endeavor like this. Um, I recently got into a relationship and like after four months, because we're currently like, like traveling together after four months, like I, it's, it's like all up in the air and it just seems kind of like nerve wracking to think about either having to adjust your schedules, adjust sort of, I guess, adjust your, um, mentality to fit somebody else in and try to maintain this relationship Whereas like when you're together, you naturally just experience things together. Mm-hmm. You're like always constantly communicating. So it's just kind of, I don't know. I just, I feel like there's no good solution or no very satisfying solution to dating during this time. Yeah, I, I think that's true because I actually really enjoyed being long distance. I felt single and with someone at the same time. So I I enjoyed that time to really get to know myself. I would like spend Friday nights at like Barnes and Noble, just browsing the aisles. I would take myself to the movies. I would take myself to fancy dinners. And then, you know, but I knew that I had someone. I knew I had someone I can call on the phone when the evening was over. I knew, you know, we would see each other in a few weeks. Those kind of things helped it. But I I, I kind of kind of missed that. I wish I had my own room right now. Um, but like, so for me, it, it was perfect, especially while I was in grad school and had a lot of work to do and didn't really feel like I, I would have had the time to really nourish a, a in-person relationship or I could have could have easily gotten distracted, right? Because that would have felt more fun than the work that I needed to do. So having that distance worked well for me. But, but again, what does it look like when you can't just walk through Barnes and Noble, right? Like that that's what, what this time makes it more difficult. So I think just be creative and use the time that you have to explore who you are and what you like. Um, I, I really do think Louise's point about putting the phones down is super valid. So um, also if you have, if you both have Nintendo switches, get in on animal crossing some nights, you can schedule those dates. there. super cute. Go watch the fireworks. You, you and your uh, <laughs> go, go to your islands, visit each other that way. That's fun. I also like, I'm a big fan of phone calls there is like an intimacy to being on the phone especially for me like i'm a night person so i like to be on the phone with people like at night especially like before i'm about to go to bed like it's it's just like very comforting to me and you know like chanel said you might be like out doing your own thing during the day but when you come back home at the end of the day you like check up on someone and there is like there is intimacy in that yeah it might not replace like physical intimacy entirely but you know count down the days until you see each other Okay, so that pretty much sums up our episode for this week. We're going to end it with a quote from this bridge caught my back, like we always do. And this one is found in El Mundo Zerto, The Vision. And we must act in the everyday world. Words are not enough. We must perform visible and public acts that may make us more vulnerable to the very oppressions we are fighting against. But our vulnerability can be the source of our power if we use it. Thanks for joining us. See you next week. Bye.